0: I was a ranger, a climbing ranger, at the Algoni State Park in New York from 2003 to 2008. This park is well known for its free-roaming bison herd and the number of also unsolved murders that occurred there the past 150 years or so. During the 4th of July weekend in 2007, I had an experience that I just could not explain. I was assigned to the eastern side of the park to staff the entrance booth and hiking trails. In the other side of Route 98 from the main campground, there was also a designated picnic area that was quite further back in the woods. I drove into the park and parked my Hummer in the parking lot behind the picnic area. After sitting in the vehicle for a few moments, then got out to open the gate that leads to the picnic area. As I was walking back out to my vehicle, I noticed a family of four sitting at the table. They were in the process of unpacking their food. I greeted them kindly, opened the gate, and drove up to the booth. I was expecting that I would be the only ranger on duty for the rest of the weekend. I was wrong. I was actually the third ranger assigned there. I arrived a little bit before noon, and one ranger had just left. It was a beautiful day and people were out in droves. I had quite a bit of traffic. At one point, I was helping three separate groups of people, all with their own issues of some kind. There was a delay in water supply, apparently, so I was calling utility companies to try and fix them. I also had to give two people different directions, since they weren't sure where to go. I'm not sure how long I'd been occupied with these tasks, but I was beginning to notice it was getting a little darker than usual. Earlier, the Daylight savings time change had just occurred, and I was getting ready to check the woods on the other side of the picnic area. Then I noticed a car coming down the side of the road. The road was a secondary access and led to a small picnic area in the Alcane Cemetery, which is quite old. I was surprised to see the car come out of nowhere, so I got back behind the booth and watched it drive up to the area and stop. I was puzzled because I thought the area was closed. The driver and the passenger got out, looked around, and got back into the vehicle very suspiciously. They drove out of the area and out of sight. I immediately went to the booth and found the key to the radio and carried it with us. I called the on-call ranger and told them about the incident and the two seemed very sketchy, like they were looking for something. I also told them about the other rangers assigned to the area. He said there was nothing he could do until the shift ended at around 8 p.m. I watched the road for a little while longer and noticed the light was now getting dimmer. I decided to check out the woods to the west of the picnic area. The area was quite hard to access and required some bushwhacking. As I walked along the natural trail, I noticed that most light was gone. I stopped and looked around. I noticed it had now become very quiet, just about no sounds whatsoever. I began to walk more quickly. I had a bad feeling about being out there alone. As I was making my way along the trail, I heard something walking towards me. I stopped and listened. I swear that I could hear breathing. I was scared, but somehow managed to get out my flashlight and turn it on. The beam of light illuminated the area in front of me, and I finally saw what was standing about 15 feet in front of me. The thing was seven to eight feet tall, made from a combination of ferns and skin. It looked like a mixture of bear and a human. I raised the radio to my mouth to call the on. Call Ranger again, but it let out the most terrifying growl that I've ever heard. It raised its right arm and lunged at me, but I turned and ran as fast as I could down the trail. I knew that I only had about a quarter mile to go before I would reach the open meadow area. I was trying my hardest not to look back, but I did so and saw that the thing was keeping up with me with ease. I kept telling myself that it was just an animal and there was nothing supernatural about it, but that did not work. As I reached the open meadow, I tripped on a fallen log and went down. I was trying to get up and run when I heard it coming. A shot rang out and I could hear the cracking of twigs and branches. Then the on-call ranger appeared and told me to stay down. The thing was circling us but it would not approach any closer. The ranger fired two more shots. We could hear the thing running away. He helped me up and walked me back to the booth. I injured my knee during the fall, but did not want to seek any medical help. We had a mutual agreement together to keep quiet about this and to not tell our supervisors or anybody else. We know we have no idea what kind of professional retribution there would be or potentially career kill. Since all this, I've moved to Georgia, and I now work for a private security firm. I still do a lot of hiking and camping, but never really go off trail if I can help it. Thanks for your time. Early 2000s, I was traveling a remote highway in eastern Nevada, close to the Utah border, when I saw some lights in the horizon. I assumed they were lights to some mine and thought nothing of it until I had gone another 20 miles and realized they were still there. I pulled over to a gas station and asked the lady if she knew what the lights were from. She does not answer me, only turns off all the lights and then picks up the phone to call someone and tell them they're back. All of a sudden, various groups of people start showing up walking from either direction in the highway to congregate at the gas station and stare off silently toward the horizon. Where these people came from, I have no idea because I had not noticed any houses. I simply made my way back to the car and discreetly went on my merry way, wondering what the F just happened. Once I went out to go to a drive out in our 80-acre land, about half of that land is pure swamp land. The rest of it is fields and pasture. We were doing it on my grandfather's land, since we own land, but it is only two fields. We go hunting on this land every year, but we have never done drives. When I usually go hunting, I went with my dad, since I was too young to go alone. But these last two years, I have become old enough to where I can hunt alone. See, we went on our drive since we now had enough people. I instantly regretted saying yes when my dad asked me if I wanted to do a drive. We live next to an Indian tribe. They're civilized, but are known for trespassing. That has nothing to do about the story. But that's why I instantly regretted it. So we went. I had my two hundred twenty three caliber in my hands. I was alone, and in the middle of the swamp. It was winter, icy and cold. As soon as I entered, I slipped. It hurt since my back landed on a log. I went on, though. A couple of minutes later, I hear a voice. It sounds like my dad's, but it sounded weird. I called him on the walkie-talkie, and he responded, talking very quiet, but I could still hear the voice. It was becoming louder. I continue on thinking that it's just my head playing games. Well, I was wrong. I walked forward a few feet and freeze. I saw someone or something because it sure wasn't human-like. It was very tall and slim, and as soon as I looked at it, it ran very fast. I ran the opposite way. Told them to get out of there, they did. I called them to regroup and told them what I saw and heard. I never went into the swamp again, but I still go hunting at the land and never saw it since. This gives me nightmares till this day, and that was two years ago. Could it be a Sasquatch? I am a photographer, and I love shooting creepy old stuff in the middle of the night. In the middle of nowhere, I'm always alone. One night, I am at the old deserted ruins of a fort in West Texas, working on a Western series. The site covers many, many acres and is mostly just fallen walls and piles of rubble. The history of the place includes an Indian massacre, unmarked graves, and other assorted creepy factors. This in and of itself is nothing to me. As I said, I do this sort of thing often and never experience anything like I did that night. As I pulled into the site, I was immediately struck with a feeling of dread and doubt about the shoot just five minutes prior, I was full of excitement and vigor. I had been traveling for hours to reach this desolate place, and was glad to be getting close. I shake off the feeling of dread, and toss back a five-hour energy. I had been awake at this point for twenty hours. It was nearing midnight. I gathered my equipment, which consists of a compass, a tripod, camera, and a small light. Oh, also a 30-30 rifle. It's a western series with a few selfies. I begin walking into the footprint of the old fort. It is a warm night, but I am feeling uneasy. I have goosebumps and my short hairs are standing on end. This is an alien reaction for my normally cool demeanor. It is nothing for me to walk through a forest at night, flashlight or moonlight. Anyway, I, I find a spot I like and start to set up for a shot. I hear a noise. Not a big deal, I think. It's just an animal. Seconds later, I hear something that sounds like a whisper. It was muted, even for a whisper. There was nothing to make out. This time, I dismiss it as an auditory hallucination, which I know could be likely given the number of hours I have been awake. All this time, my heart is pounding and wave after wave of chills. Doubt and dread are passing through me. Still, I have traveled for hours, and I decide this is a test of my mettle, and I won't let fear get to me and ruin this shoot. Even though I had determination on my side, my hands were shaking, and I could not think clearly. The shots are difficult and require some camera setup, which I could not seem to get right. Normally, I see a shot and instinctively know where to set ISO, aperture, color temperature, etc., Fast forward three minutes. I get one crappy shot, maybe two. I take a deep breath and walk to another spot. I hear the whisper again, this time behind me. I turn quickly, light in hand, and there is nothing there. Gathering every ounce of willpower, I walk slowly to the next spot, whispers in tow. I stop and I'm shaking at this point. I set up for the shot. The whisper is turned to whispers and they surround me. I am trying to play this off as tricks of the mind due to lack of sleep, but my self-pep talk is not working anymore. I reached to press the shutter button, a cacophony of whispers surrounding me, and it was then that I felt very clearly the weight of a hand on my shoulder. Needless to say, that was it for me. Shoot was over and I made haste to my car and got the F out of there. I found a convenience store that glowed like a white beacon in the night 30 or 40 miles down the road. I had coffee and collected myself for half an hour. About an hour later, I was in an old cemetery taking photos, and I was completely at ease. Was it fatigue? Maybe, but none of it carried over to the rest of the night. I won't go back to that fort alone again. My family has a summer house on a large remote island. Our place is in the most lightly inhabited park, and to get to it you either have to sail or fly and then either hike over extremely steep terrain, so steep that on the downhill side one has to hang on to trees and bracken and go hand over hand and half slide down for about three hours or travel for around forty minutes in a little open top boat at high tide. There are no roads or utilities. There are some other houses around, but they are far apart, and one has to walk through thick bush on tiny, narrow tracks for at least 10, 15 minutes to get to a neighbor. There are no lights, and while the stars and moon are very bright on a cloudy night, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. It's incredibly remote and mostly incredibly idyllic long childhood summers running wild through the forest and playing in the streams. There are some incredibly creepy things about it, though. Story one. There's a grave at the entrance to the river. It's been there since the 1800s and is a light-colored stone with a white picket fence around it. The woman buried there was one of the original settlers of the area. When I was a child, the grave had fallen into disrepair. Strange things started happening all around the houses in the area. Doors slamming without a breeze, funny noises, taps turning on and off by themselves, little things going missing and weird problems with boat motors with no explanation. After a while, the community got sick of it and someone suggested it had something to do with the grave. After laughing it off, everyone decided it wouldn't hurt to clean up the grave. They went out one day, weeded, Scrub the stone, paint the fence, said a few words, and all the weird happenings stopped. Story two. There are places that just feel wrong all over the area. There are no dangerous creatures on the island other than potentially wild pigs, and it's always the same places. It makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck to walk through them, even in groups, and more than a few times I've sprinted dangerously. On narrow, dangerous tracks when walking by myself at night, just because I'm freaked as hell by the sense of fear and dread. And I'm almost thirty and not at all afraid of the dark under normal circumstances. It's not just humans either. I got a new dog. I was walking along a track with him in the middle of the day in bright sunshine, and we were maybe one of men from one of these creepy places. Suddenly he stopped dead and he tensed up. Stared right down the trail at the creepy area and started growling and barking and backing away He got to the point where he was pressed up against my legs tail down As I was reaching down to touch him he let out a sound that was crossed between a scream and a bark Ran around me and dashed off back the way we'd come I turned around and started sprinting too. I found him at the house cowering under a bench ever since He's absolutely refused to even go to the start of that track. When I was a kid, ten, twelve maybe, there was this really old creepy house just around the corner from me. I lived in a fairly nice area and this house was just old and had stained net curtains and a cracked front door and all the works. The guy worked irregular shifts, so nobody ever really saw him, but other kids would tell stories that they saw him coming home in the early hours with dead animals and bloody knives. Obviously, the rest of us laughed it off as B.S. Anyway, one summer, we were all bored and decided to sneak past the factories around the back of his house and onto a patch of grass to try to get a look through his back garden. To get there, you had to sneak past these buildings, through a bunch of trees, and then through a mesh fence that we had to climb over. Not an accessible place at all, and no other way to get to it. Four of us made the trip and took turns to bunk each other up to get a look over the fence. I went last and could see my other friends were creeped the F out. There were two dead cats hanging from his tree by their tails with a bunch of doll's heads tied up off the branches and swinging around in the breeze. I could just about see into the house, and there were no lights on, and a few candles lit in a circle on his floor. My friend swears he saw a limp human leg, foot in the doorway, but none of the rest of us did. Just as I got a good look, the gate opened, and the guy came strolling out, casual as if, with a bloody machine in his hand. We ran, he chased. We all leaped over the mesh fence, and then he was gone. Never saw him again. I still have no idea what he was up to, and we never told anyone for fear of getting in trouble for what we did. Prior to joining the United States Navy, my grandfather took me aside and told me several stories of his time spent in the Navy during World War II. It was his way of ensuring I knew what I was getting into. My grandfather was a weapons technician, too. WT-2, aboard the destroyer USS Maury D.D. 401 from 1942, 1945, and manned a 538 caliber cannon. He survived Pearl Harbor battle over Tarawa, Battle of Midway, and the invasion of Luzon, to name a few, with only a small shrapnel wound to his leg and all that time. I'd like to share one of those stories of his, though, as it just blows my mind to this day. The Murray was escorting an HMAS Australian vessel to Espiritu Santo, as Japanese forces were still active in the area, and Allied forces were actively attempting to keep God Al-Kanal and the Solomons secure after previous weeks of battle with the Japanese forces. The night was clear, with every star in the sky. The wind was so low that you could hear gulls fishing off in the distance, and the wakes splashing against the hulls of the ships. The air felt like Hawaii in spring, and all you wanted to do was bask in the moon glow. Suddenly voice radio communications from nearby Allied Island bases starting chirping away with information about visual confirmation of enemy subs in the area to the north. Soon after, all on deck order was given and everyone was forced stand ready. A team was assigned light patrol, and they began panning around, looking for subs. Not more than two hours goes by with no visual contact made. They are finally given order to stand down and return to shut-eye duty. A few hours before daybreak, contacts from Nendo Island start coming on voice comms, warning that potentials are flying around in the area just five miles south of Maury's escort position already worried that they may have been targeted by Japanese subs from their bow. They now have to contend with potential aerial assault, and everyone is called to stand ready once more. Engines are killed, emergency lights activated in orders given to kill all lights. My grandfather, manning his light, is immediately ordered to put that candle out and pushes the searchlight straight down into the water, turning it off. When they finally stop moving, the crew can hear the low tone humming of several planes passing parallel to their position. Everyone holds their breath and pretends to pretty much not exist, hoping the enemy doesn't make visual contact with the ships. So for a good long 45 minutes, everyone just sits there until they can no longer make audible contact with their enemy forces they hoped would pass. Finally, after almost two hours of nothing, They are given the go-ahead to start the engines and return to the passage. My grandfather flicks his cigarette port side and clicks on his searchlight, still pointing into the water. What he says he saw next aged him and the two others with him a good ten years. Below, where the searchlight sat focused in the water, lay an eyeball the size of a basketball, sitting there staring straight back at him from about ten feet underwater. The next three feckins lasted minutes in his mind as he watched this silvery disk of an eye look straight through him. Finally, the first of the engines started in what seemed like forever and the beast that it was broke surface for a brief moment in order to dive deep. Even before people acknowledged giant squid existed before they were ever caught on camera, my grandfather believed because he'd seen one within twenty feet of his face, in my eight years of service, I had heard many stories of such things, and even owned a few teeth, pulled from the rubber liner of a ship, but never had any such experiences as myself. Adding that experience in lieu of the drama of war, and you can get a sense for the true terror it would invoke. My grandfather, who passed away at 93 this July, told me this one growing up. Thanks to all left served, and thanks for reading. This incident happened to me when I was a boy. My sister, myself, and my parents lived in a small trailer out in Connersville, which is a little ways out from Bartow. My sister and I shared a room with a bunk bed, and there was always something kind of off about the room. There was one night when my mother came in while my sister and I had been asleep for probably three or four hours. She woke us both up and said I don't know what it is. Would you two need to come to sleep on the floor, your dad, and mine's room? There's just something not right. So we hated to, but we went in there and we fixed the bed and the floor, and my mom. She went through the house and checked the locks. And everything, and everything was fine. So we all laid down, and I'd say an hour and a half later, there were sounds at the front door, and we heard the front door open. My mom was up, I guess, and my dad and sister both were asleep. I was still awake, and we heard pitter-patter, almost sounded like children running in the house. This was about three thirty or 4 o'clock in the morning. The way the trailer was set up, you had a door that connected to the hallway into my parents' bedroom and went into the bathroom. So we heard these things run into the bathroom. You could hear them giggling, and then it was just the weirdest sound. It didn't sound like a usual childish giggle. My mom thought she had locked both of the doors that connected to the bathroom and to the hallway. Well, the door that connected to the hallway had opened slowly, and this little short thing peeked its head through. Pardon my French, but it scared the hell out of me. It looked almost like it was wearing a hood on part of its head. It was probably about two and a half to three feet tall. And the face, it was, a. Uh, The only way I can describe it was it looked almost like a gargoyle, as far as the face, deformed like some of them can actually get. It was grotesque and it just giggled, putting its hand on its mouth almost like, you know, I didn't mean to disturb you. It just stood there for a minute and I'm about to have a panic attack, you know, sitting there staring at that thing. I couldn't move. I felt like I was in shock and my mom, she didn't move or say anything, you know. I didn't think she knew I was awake, and after a few minutes it went back in the bathroom with the other ones and shut the door. They were in there to close to daylight. Then the door opened, and then they went right back outside. I didn't tell my mom what I saw until a couple of days later. I was just too afraid that if I did, that they would just come back. And I told her, and she told me, she saw the same exact thing. Dave asks about what prompted her to go in and get the kids. That night, she had like a feeling like God was telling her to get the kids, bring them in the bedroom. They don't need to be in there. She said that's the only way she can describe it. She said she was laying there asleep, and then she just woke up, and that feeling just hit her harder than a brick. It felt like it was trying to make its territory known. Basically, we can come and go any we want. It was playing mind games with us, my mom and myself. The feeling I got from it was that it was not good. It was evil. In June of 1995, a man sightseeing in Quebec snapped 76 photos and made four videos of an area known as Park des Seven Chutes, or Seven Chutes Park near St. Georges de Beauce, Quebec. As he browsed through the pictures, something odd caught his eye in photo number 32. There appeared to be something strange standing amid the trees. When the photo was enlarged, a tall brown figure with a baboon-like snout becomes clearer. Not only that, it seems to be clutching a white dog and appears to be staring towards the photographer. He had not seen it when he took the pictures. The photographer, who wishes to remain anonymous, went back to the area and had photos taken with a man standing in the same spot for comparison, as well as to see if there could be another explanation. Some skeptics have suggested it is a rock formation, but the subsequent area photos do not support this theory. Others claim it's simply a case of pareidolia, the phenomena of seeing faces or other distinct images and objects such as clouds tree formations, or even a cinnamon roll. Remember the famous cinnamon roll that had the uncanny likeness to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. There seems to be more than that to this particular image, however. So what is the thing, and why is it holding a small dog? If it's a Bigfoot, it doesn't match up with most descriptions by Bigfoot eyewitnesses. This animal has a snout like a dog or wolf leading some to call it a dogman or a werewolf. As I stood at the edge of the uncharted territory, my heart pounding with a mix of excitement and trepidation, the group of inexperienced hikers had gone missing somewhere within this vast and treacherous wilderness area, and time was running out. The weather had taken a turn for the worse and I knew that every minute counted. With my expert knowledge of the terrain and survival skills, I had been entrusted to lead the search and rescue mission. There were fifteen people on my SAR team, and we had a task of finding these hikers. do know that I had seen my fair share of wonders and dangers, but what awaited me deep within those woods was something entirely new. Ignoring the cautionary voice in the back of my mind, I decided to venture alone into the uncharted area. Leaving my team who camped nearby, the woods grew darker, the trees towering above casting long, ominous shadows. My footsteps were silent, my senses heightened. The wind whispered through the branches as if warning me of an imminent danger. Suddenly a chill ran down my spine and I felt an unexplainable presence. And then I saw it standing amidst the trees, bathed in an ethereal glow, was an unknown creature. Its humanoid-shaped head had eyes as black as the night, its hunched back, giving it a sinister appearance. Its mouth was stretched wide open, frozen in a scream that seemed to echo through the silence of the forest. The creature appeared pale, almost sickly, with a hauntingly anorexic appearance. I reached for my camera. Desperate to capture evidence of this extraordinary encounter. My hands trembled as I tried to focus, but before I could press the shutter, the creature vanished into the darkness, leaving me in disbelief. Returning to the team's camping spot, I eagerly shared my encounter, hoping for understanding and support. But instead, disbelief greeted me. They accused me of playing games, of trying to divert attention from our mission. Their skepticism stung. But i couldn't let it deter me the lives of the missing hikers depended on our efforts we continued our search our determination unwavering with every step i couldn't shake the image of the unknown creature from my mind it gnawed at me filling me with a mix of fascination and dread but i knew that finding the hikers had to remain our priority days turned into nights and the wilderness tested our resolve We scoured every inch of the park, following any lead, yet the hikers remained elusive, exhausted and discouraged. We gathered around the flickering fire one evening, hoping for a breakthrough. I took a deep breath, mustering the courage to share my story once more. As I recounted the encounter, the flickering firelight danced on their skeptical faces. But this time, there was something different. A glimmer of doubt, a shadow of curiosity, Weary and with nothing to lose, we decided to expand our search to areas we hadn't explored before. Days stretched into weeks, and then finally a breakthrough. A distant cry for help echoed through the woods, filling us with renewed hope and adrenaline. We followed the sound, pushing through dense foliage until we reached a small clearing. There amidst the tangled undergrowth we found. nothing. It's like some creature mimicked the sounds of voice of lost hikers. Even though we searched the whole park, we never found them. I was 18 years old, spending time at my aunt's house for a family reunion, when a powerful headache and stomach discomfort suddenly struck me. Overwhelmed by drowsiness, I decided it was best to go to bed. As I closed my eyes, a bewildering shift occurred. I found myself in a peculiar metallic room, lying on a cot like bed, utterly immobilized. Surrounding me were four humanoid beings, each standing at a height of four feet. They possessed a slender physique and wore tight-fitting gold-colored outfits with matching gold sandals, Their hands, notably, had six fingers. In an unexpected turn of events, a door materialized on the metallic wall and a tall figure entered the room. This figure resembled an exceptionally attractive man with white skin, blonde hair, and a radiant aura surrounding him. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. Clad in a long white tunic that reached his ankles, he wore silvery sandals. I noticed a gold ring on his finger, featuring the imprinted image of a pyramid. The tall, blonde individual approached me while one of the shorter humanoids handed him a transparent sphere containing an electronic chip-like device. Facing the sphere over my forehead, it levitated before hovering over various parts of my body, eventually disappearing. At that moment, the blind man drew nearer and through a form of telepathy, without moving his lips. He assured me not to be afraid. Intrigued, I asked why I was chosen, to which he explained that it was due to my possession of a unique and special energy from birth. Soon after, I regained my ability to move, and they guided me into another room that appeared to be a control center. Inside, three of the shorter humanoids operated various consoles. Suddenly, a massive screen became visible, displaying the alignment of planets. I watched as the Earth appeared, albeit inverted. Then a scene resembling a nuclear explosion unfolded, depicting immense death and destruction. I received a warning that humanity was on a path leading to such devastation, unless we changed our ways. As I took in the profound revelation, another door came into view. I noticed a vast hangar filled with numerous dome-shaped disc objects. The tall, blond figure noticed my gaze and proceeded to touch my forehead with a finger. In an instant, I found myself back in bed. For the following three hours, I remained in a state of mental confusion, trying to make sense of the extraordinary encounter. I'll never forget that fateful evening when my friend and I encountered the mysterious creature in the entrance zone of the natural park. It was already getting dark, and the forest borders seemed to be closing in on us. We had heard strange canine sounds all along the way, as if some creature was upset and following us, but we kept our calm as best we could. Finally, we reached the car parked near the fence at the entrance door. My heart was pounding as my friend switched on the car's lights, and that's when he saw it, a towering six-foot-tall dogman standing just a few meters away on the other side of the fence. My friend was colorblind, so he couldn't tell me the color of its eyes, but their shine in the darkness was enough to terrify him. I couldn't see the creature directly, but the fear in my friend's eyes was enough to convince me that something was terribly wrong. We wasted no time and quickly drove away from there, leaving the strange creature behind. It didn't follow us, but the memory of that encounter haunted us for a long time. As we tried to make sense of what we had witnessed, my friend shared a chilling story with me about his father and his sister's ex-boyfriend. They had their own eerie encounter just a week before, behind the chalet located near a big marsh connected to the natural park. That night they were drawn outside by a commotion and found a large black dog with broad shoulders eating something in the bushes. But this was no ordinary dog. It quickly turned its attention towards them and started growling menacingly, fearing for their safety. My friend's father grabbed a large stick, preparing for the worst. But then, to their shock, the creature stood up on two legs, taking on an almost human-like appearance. The father was bewildered by the sight, and the ex-boyfriend turned pale as a ghost. After a tense moment, the dogman took a few steps towards them, but eventually backed away, returning to all fours, and swiftly disappearing into the marsh. My friend's father and the ex-boyfriend decided not to tell him about the creature standing up on two legs, believing it might have been too traumatizing for him. Little did they know that a week later, he would come face to face with the same mysterious entity, and the truth would come to light. Since that summer, my friend's family never encountered the dogman around their chalet again. We couldn't determine if it was merely passing through the area or if it still lurked nearby, avoiding human contact. Perhaps others in the area had similar experiences but kept silent about it, either out of fear or disbelief. We often wondered if there was a connection between the dogman we encountered and the one seen by my friend's family the proximity of the natural park and the chalet suggested they might be part of the same pack or group. But regardless of the truth, one thing was certain. We had experienced something beyond the ordinary, something that would forever remain etched in our memories, and we would always tread carefully whenever we ventured near that bordering forest or the marsh. Last summer I felt like camping one weekend so myself and a buddy went to a spot he knew about that wasn't too far from where we lived. About 40 minute drive and a few kilometers hike to the spot. I've always been a big pussy about the dark. My imagination is stupid and vivid and F with me. Anyway, we were settling down for the night, and we had our tents set up about 50 feet from each other, because I snore sometimes, plus no spots could fit both tents, as it was pretty thick with brush and rock. I get woken up at some point by a noise. My heart is racing, but I figure I'm going to hear a lot of noises in the bush at night and tried to go back to sleep. As I'm drifting off, I hear a loud crack, almost like a gunshot in the near distance. I sit straight up and start sweating. What the F was that? No way that is an animal. Then I hear a cough and someone clearing their throat. My mind is running through all sorts of crazy scenarios. So I text my friend. Are you awake? Did you hear that? No answer. Another throat clear. My brain convinces itself that my friend is now dead and we are being hunted. I freeze and grab my knife so I can poke my head out after I'm going to die. I rather not do it shaking like a leaf in my sleeping bag. I get two steps out of my tent and a crouched figure is moving towards me. Again, my legs freeze for a sec and then my friend lights his smoke and says, Check this out. What the, you're alive! I nearly shit myself. Jesus! What was that noise then? Turns out it was seals playing in the water. They slap the surface really hard and it makes a very loud crack. I felt really dumb, but goddamn was I genuinely scared for a bit. This happened when I was about fourteen, fifteen, and often stayed over at my cousin and her husband's house. We'll call them Skyler and Josh, I think the twenty four and twenty six at the time. I'd been staying at their house for a week, straight prior to the incident, with no issues. It was the summertime in a neighborhood that was pretty rapidly expanding. Yeah, I know those monochrome suburban nightmare, cul-de-sacs. There were tons of half-finished houses lining the far end of the neighborhood. I feel this info is pretty important. Anyway, Josh and I are avid movie watchers and stayed up late most nights, watching whatever looked good. That night, Skyler went to bed early and we stayed up to watch, would you rather? Then Ridiculous 6 movie sucks, by the way. Semi-important context, Josh is a smoker and goes out to the back patio for a cigarette. Every so often. Especially at night, when he takes their beagle, banjo, out to pee. I end up sleeping through the movie on one of their two couches. This couch is backed against the wall, and to the left of it is a window into the backyard. It's the only window in the living room. At some point, I keep hearing banjo whooping and hollering in the playroom, then again in the kitchen, then the playroom, and so on and so forth. Dog's going apeshit in literally every room of the first floor. But he's a clingy dog that hated when Skyler and Josh shut him out of the room, so I figured he was just whining. He's also a beagle, so we're used to him being vocal. I'm hindsight. I probably should have wondered why he was running from room to room, though. Whatever. I try to sleep through it. After a good while of Banjo flipping his shit in what I think is the kitchen, he kinda goes quiet, but he wakes me up again, growling at the window right next to the couch I'm sleeping on. Bro will not be still. I still don't get up. I fall back asleep for a bit, then out of nowhere... He jumps on the couch, right on my stomach, and again starts losing his shit, barking and howling. That wasn't what woke me up, though. It was the light shining from outside the window, right in my face. I wasn't scared at first, more confused than anything, since my eyes haven't adjusted at this point. Then the flashlight shines up, right on this man's face, and he looks identical to Josh. Could have been twins. He's crouched down with his face almost right up on the glass, And when I see him, I jump really hard. I don't remember if I screamed, but the man starts laughing at me. And I can hear it from the other side of the window. However, because I'm big stupid, I assume it's Josh on a smoke break just trying to spook me. I start walking upstairs, and I pass by their kitchen clock. Bitch, it was like 4 a.m. I didn't even put two and two together that Josh has no reason to be outside and awake at this hour. I'm so groggy but also unnerved at this point, so I go sleep on the upstairs hallway floor. I didn't go alert Skylar of what just happened, mostly because she's a cranky bitch when you wake her up, and I was still more willing to accept the idea that it was Josh being an idiot on a smoke break rather than some maniac scoping out the house. The next afternoon I bring it up to them and sort of write it off, ask me if I'm sure I wasn't dreaming, etc., but they did say they heard the dog going wild. I check outside where the window is to see if the man dropped any evidence of him being there, and I kind of wanted to vomit. The tall grass along the house was pressed down like someone was on their knees. I don't even want to know how long the man was sitting there for the grass to have been pressed down still, but I have a feeling it was pretty long because Banjo sat by that window for a hot minute and the flashlight is the only thing that woke me up. I'm glad I saw the grass, though, because it felt like such a fever dream. Sometimes I still wonder if it happened, but I know it did. My theory is that some squatter in those unfinished houses was either bored or on something and decided to go on an adventure. But yeah, I would absolutely gotten my shit rocked in a horror movie at that age. Okay, so I've never posted like this before, so forgive me for any mistakes. But about an hour ago, I headed to a nearby lake, a place I usually go for my therapy sessions, because it's usually pretty serene and peaceful. About 90% of the area can be seen from the Billy Road. However, there are a few blind spots So I pulled into my usual parking area and immediately got a weird feeling when I saw another car parked kind of hidden under a tree close by. I'm a female in my twenties, so I'm always on high alert. I made sure to keep my eye on the car when getting my stuff together in my car. One second I look up and no one is in the car, and then a couple seconds later I look again and a man is suddenly sitting in the driver's seat staring at me. It was like he came out of nowhere. At this point, I'm pretty wary about going out into the grass by the lake, but I continue to slowly pack up my stuff while continuing to keep an eye on the man in the car. I open my door, and the man immediately gets out of his car and stands in front of it, doing a weird stretch and still staring at me. This lake is very close to a very popular amusement park, so it's not uncommon for travelers to stop at the lake to rest. So I try to reason in my mind and decide I'll just sit in the car for my therapy appointment. I still had about 15 minutes before it started to get settled. So I get into my back seat and close and lock the doors, but rolled one window down because it was hot in the car. I open up my laptop and I look over at the man again, and now he's opening up an almost empty bottle of windshield wiper fluid and starts to pour it into his car as he looks up at me. His whole vibe was sketchy and creepy, and I was debating on leaving. The man then pulls out his phone, does something on it, then continues to fill his washer fluid. All of a sudden, a white van with no windows rolls up and parks right behind me. No one gets out. I immediately climb over the console into the driver's seat and started to pull away. The van was close to my car, but there was enough room for me to back up and pull out of there. A couple seconds after I pull away, the van follows, and the man gets back in his car. I panicked, but was able to pull out onto the road in between two cars, so the van wasn't able to catch up with me. I made sure no one was following me as I drove home. It might have all been a coincidence, but better safe than sorry. I also called the non-emergency land just in case, and they said they would send an officer out there to patrol the area for a bit. Thanks for reading if you did. It was a scary experience, especially as someone who's been as I'd like to hear any feedback or similar stories if anyone has any. So our boys ages are three and two. A few days ago, about 30 minutes after we had put the boys to bed, I was in our front living room when all of a sudden I heard our oldest son crying out for me. I peeked my head out into the hallway and looked into our other living room, real quick to see if my husband was already on it. He wasn't. So I walked down the hallway and went into the boys' bedroom, and both of the boys were sound asleep. Weird. I shut the door and walked into the main living room, where my husband was, and told him what just happened. He just shrugged his shoulders and said he didn't hear anything. The room I was in is closer to their bedroom, so I could see how he didn't hear him. Then last night, just after midnight, I laid down to go to bed. I was almost asleep until I heard my youngest son start to cry over the monitor. I waited a few seconds to see if he was just moving around and would fall back asleep, or if it was the real deal. He starts hysterically crying, so I jump up and run down the hallway to their bedroom. The boys are sound asleep. I'm very confused. I go back to bed and fall asleep. Now, a little backstory: I'm a very heavy sleeper. My husband always had to wake me up when the boys were babies, when they would wake up in the middle of the night because I didn't hear them. He always says I could sleep through the world ending, and I would never know. So after I fell back asleep, I get woken up at 5 a.m. to my youngest son, hysterically crying again over the monitor. A little side note, both times I look at the monitor, I don't see either of the boys moving. I see them peacefully sleeping, but I hear the seeing. I get my sleepy self up, look over at my sleeping husband, thought it strange that he was asleep and didn't wake me up, and sleeplessly walk down to the boys' bedroom. They are both sound asleep. Now I feel like I'm losing it. I know what I heard. No TVs were on when any of these occurrences happened. We don't own a radio, and our monitor is one of those dinosaur ones, so it doesn't hook up to Wi-Fi or anything. And the first occurrence with my oldest son, I heard with my own ears. When my son was crying, Mommy, I didn't even have the monitor on. I feel like I'm going crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened before. One time I got woken up to something whistling outside our bedroom windows at 3 a.m. A few months ago, it kept moving from one window to the other in a matter of seconds. Very earring whistling. We have a fenced-in backyard, and the one window is in the fenced-in area. Our fence is six feet high, so that scared me even more, thinking. Something was on our roof. I was absolutely terrified and frozen in bed it finally stopped and i went back to bed i talked to our next door neighbor about it that's lived out here his whole life and he said he's seen and heard things out here that people would think he's insane we live on a quiet dead-end road with a swamp or heavy woods in our backyard In 2009, I attended college at the University of Maryland, or Eastern Shore. I always felt overwhelmed with studying and assignments and spent most of my time inside. My roommate and I decided to abandon our schoolwork one weekend and have an adventure. We agreed to go to Assateague Island. It's a barrier island and a refuge for wildlife. I was most excited to check out the furrow ponies I had heard about. There do not seem to be many places where you can see wild horses in war. So we decided to camp, even though it was the off-season and chilly. At least there were no crowds. We borrowed a bunch of gear from our hardcore camping friend and headed out. We stopped at the visitor center, and the rangers told us where we would be likely to see the horses. They told us to make sure we put away all of our food items whenever we were away from the campsite. We showed them the bear-proof cooler we had borrowed, and they said that was fine. We set up our camping spot and went to the recommended trail, and when we were out there, we caught sight of horses off in the distance. They told us to stay at least 40 feet away. We were happy to get a distant view of horses across an inlet. However, we were really excited when the herd stormed through the water and toured the area where we were standing. There must have been three different herds while we hiked that morning. We had binoculars to spot them in the distance and were satisfied with our sightings by noon. We had a cookout and relaxed on the beach. I was ready for bed early and got into my sleeping bag after sunset with my book. I must have fallen asleep immediately. The next thing I knew I was woken up by something howling. Now I'm familiar with coyotes and wolves, but this did not sound like that. It was higher and more shrill. It gave me goosebumps all over, and I could feel it getting closer. I convinced myself it must be one of the island foxes, so I just fell asleep again. But then this horrible growl woke me up again. It was a low growl, guttural and rumbling. I could hear something rustling outside the tent. It was probably half an hour before the noises stopped, and I could sleep again. The next day, we decided to take the wildlife loop trail, it was maybe three miles long and gave good views of marsh and forest. We spent a long time exploring. By the time we decided to head back to camp, we were both pretty tired, and it was almost sunset. We came over the crest of a dims and could see our tent a ways away. It looked like it was fluttering in the wind more than it should be. I could tell there was some stuff on the ground by the tent, and I remember saying how weird that was. As we got closer, we could see that the tent door was hanging unzipped and flapping around. The stuff on the ground was our gear, sleeping bags and clothes. We thought someone robbed us. We knew we hadn't left any food unsecured, and it didn't seem like an animal's work because the zippers were just pulled down like a person would do. Inside the tent, there were muddy prints all over the ground cover and tarp. If I didn't know better, uh, I would have thought they were from a giant dog. Our bags had been opened, and all contents had been removed and thrown around. All the food locked inside the cooler was missing, and everything was covered in sand and mud. We were totally astonished, and then I noticed that growl I heard the night before. I was instantly terrified. I can't tell you how primal it sounds. My roommate and I rushed out and heard it coming towards us as it came from behind the trees. We both screamed when we saw this huge werewolf, like creature. It was obviously eating something and looked like a six or seven foot tall wolf, but had a man's torso. It had a long snout and sharp fangs, and when it howled it sounded like a human scream. It was facing sideways from us, so I couldn't really see its eyes. However, its back was kind of hunched over, and it had massive shoulders. It never looked at us. It finished what it ate, and then turned away and disappeared into the trees. We were literally shaken from seeing that thing. We knew we had to leave. We pulled everything out of the tent and shook it off as best we could. We threw everything in the trunk and raced out of there. We stopped at the ranger station, but it was after hours, and nobody was around. We didn't know what to do and went home. I called them the next day to describe what we had seen. I have no idea if they took me seriously or if they thought we were just seeing things. I'm a pretty big skeptic of anything supernatural, and I have a firm belief that everything can be explained by science. So I can't recall anything but one incident. It happened about 18 years ago. My wife's parents' house is a ranch house that is carved into the side of a hill. In the basement, they have a nice wood-burning stove and a big old comfy couch and some crocheted comforters that are amazing. It was Thanksgiving, and we had just eaten. I didn't drink back then either. No meds to speak of. Perfectly healthy. It was my wife, her parents, and her two sisters. In classic form, I go downstairs after turkey, dressing, and all matters of food. I curl up on the couch and take a nap. The wood burner was on, but closed, so no noise. The curtains down there were the light-blocking kind, so it was pitch black. Awesome right. I am snuggled up in this blanket, and I slept for an hour and a half. Toasty. Just fantastic. I wake up. It of course is still pitch black. I stand up and make my move to the light switch. As I start walking there, I hear something. When I say hear something, that isn't really a good description. It wasn't like in my ears with a direction. You know how you can tell where a sound is coming from. This sound was coming from inside my head, not my ears. And it was loud, the voice, which was neither man or woman, whispered loudly. (laughs) Ha-ha, eighteen years later, I am getting chills typing this. Jew on Am. My name obviously is John. I stood there in the dark, dead still, about five foot from the light switch, not scared, confused. Okay, who the hell is down here? Where'd that come from? Who was that? I didn't recognize the voice. I waited for it to repeat. I stood there for a minute with no light on. Nothing happened. So I walked the five foot to the light switch and flipped it on, clicked, looked around the basement. Nothing abnormal. I heard the rumbling of people walking around upstairs and talking lightly through the floor. So I put my pants back on and walked up the stairs. My wife, her parents, and two sisters are sitting at the table. So not even thinking, I said to them, ha ha ha, very funny him ever was downstairs. They all looked at me, and you could tell the look was totally confused. My family is the jokesters. My wife's family is the serious people. My wife's mom says, John, we were all up here talking. Then it hit me. That voice wasn't them. Then I got serious chills because it didn't make sense. But I was such a skeptic, it couldn't be anything but them up to that point. Then my wife said something about how their cleaning lady had said she heard voices down in her basement a few years back, and the father also said, "'The crazy aunt heard someone down there once.' Then there was insane talk about Indian burial grounds and other stuff. I have never experienced that before. And in eighteen years haven't again, either. Just strange. He'll never figure it out, I'm sure." Every person that has ever been close to me has seen or had a conversation with me when I wasn't around at least once. This started happening around the time. I turned 13. I had an early day at school and decided to hang out at a friend's house instead of catching the bus home, stayed for a few hours and walked home. When I got into the house, I heard my mom speaking to someone upstairs which was unusual since we were normally the only two people there at any given time. When I turned the corner to see what was going on, I saw her looking into the open door of my room and heard her having a conversation. Obviously confused, I asked who was over, at which point she jumped, turned around, and got white in the face. At the time, she told me she was on the phone, but later confessed that she thought I had been home since school got out and was trying to wake me up from a nap. A few years later, I got into my first serious relationship. After a few months of dating each other, I had moved into my first apartment with a few close friends. One night, while she was staying over, I was awoken and saw that she was crying. When I asked her what was wrong, she told me that she had gotten up to use the bathroom. When she came out, she saw me walking down the hallway and towards the stairs, assuming I had just woken up from her getting out off bed and went to get a glass of water. She didn't think anything of it until she turned the corner and saw me laying in the same spot. I was in completely asleep. Not long after that, my roommates also started having similar experiences, usually at night. This has since continued throughout every relationship and close friendship I've acquired to the point where it's become something that I have to disclose while also trying to sound sane The most troubling and confusing part about this is that I've never personally experienced it. And the only time I'm aware that it's happened is when I'm comforting someone from whatever they saw. This happened in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, at our house, and it has two parts. I'm not sure the two parts are related, but I've always thought that they were. First part is that I'm 16, and I get home from school, and there are two guys sitting on my porch. Keep in mind, I'm in the middle of nowhere. So they see me, and I see them, and it's not like I can turn around. So being 16, I get out and go talk to them. Turns out they are basically bums or hobos that live on the rails. Funny thing is that they are at least ten miles from the rails, and I have no idea how they picked out my house from the dozens they passed. Anyway, I start talking to them, and one is a larger guy with a beard that is doing all the talking and giving me the full-on, oh, I'm down on my luck story. The skinny guy was not saying a word and kind of on reflection, acting drugged up. They want me to give them a ride to the IMCA, which is about 25 miles away, being 16 I think. Why not? About that time, my mother comes home and freaks out, calls the sheriff, and he comes and picks them up, doesn't arrest them, just has them transported to a shelter. I talk to the sheriff later, and he says that he ended up taking them to the IMCA for the night. No big deal. Then it gets a little weird, and this is when I've always wondered the connection. My mother goes out of town to stay with her sister for the weekend. Not a huge deal. I was 16 at the time, and it happened every few months. About 1 a.m., I start hearing a noise downstairs, not loud enough to wake me up and make me say, holy shit, someone is breaking in, but loud enough to wake me. This goes on for about 20 minutes or so, and I'm finally awake. I turn on all the lights, but don't go outside. At this point, I'm about half freaking out. The noises aren't loud enough that I think something is wrong, but they were loud enough to make me go. WTF. Nothing happens about 45 minutes later I go to bed, but have opened the blinds and looked outside. I'm laying in bed again, thinking to myself, well, I didn't see anything. It sure was dark out there, and I realize, hey man, you have a giant ass overhead street light on an electric pole outside that is always on why is it dark? This prompts me to freak the hell out. I get up and, of course, load up a shotgun, grab a few cans of doctor, pepper, and stay up all night while staring into the darkness, because sure as shit my giant street lamp that has been on every day for sixteen years is dead. Morning rolls around and there is that dew that covers the ground. I go outside and first look at the light, and a fuse was pulled laying on the ground. It was one of those old fuses that looked like a shotgun shell. I put it back in, and it worked the next night. I walk up to the house, and in the morning dew, there are all these handprints on the door, as well as all these pentagrams drawn on the door. What freaked me out was that there was all this paint gone and chips around the screen or glass door, like someone had a small screwdriver and was trying to get in. Scared the crap out of me and the police decided that it was just someone screwing with me, or it was random. I've always thought that the two hobos came back, but keep in mind if they did, they would have had to make it 25 miles. So at that point, I have no idea what they were planning. Also, my mother thought I was making the whole thing up. She thought I was doing a practical joke and couldn't figure out the punchline. She stayed at the sister's house.